everybody. I'm Jim Ford. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And I'm Corwin Kroll. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode number 16. We're going to be talking about the last half of Agent Orange. And here to join us is a very special guest, Corwin Kroll. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, if you're on our forum or any forum at thecomicforums.com, you've probably chatted with Corwin before. Um, why don't you t- why don't you tell everybody like like how did you get into Green Lantern? Well, actually, I'm a big Marvel fan, and um, during the end of like the Sinestro Corps, one of the people in my LCS kind of put me on the last issue for Green Lantern 25, and I was so taken by it, I kind of ended up going back and collecting the whole uh, volume four of Green Lantern and the newest Green Lantern Corps. Um, funniest thing is my favorite character is actually Sinestro. I think I. I think I really connect with him more than I do the others, the Green Lanterns themselves. You know, it's funny. I, I've always kind of hated the, uh, the villain that's like the evil version of the hero or the arch nemesis or whatever. But since the Sinestro War, I've come to like really like Sinestro. I can't explain it. Like he's the character I want to see the most. You know. <laughs> well, John's made him a real dynamic character. You know, he's not the old you know, mustache-twirling villain of the past. I mean, he has a lot of depth to his character, and he really believes what he's doing is the right thing, even though he's a bit ruthless and arrogant, but he does have the universe's best interests in mind. Oh, yeah, and at the same time, he, he has that that air about him of, like, if you, if you absolutely want to get something done, you have Sinestro go do it. So it's like he feels, like, so important in the capacity of... You know, with all this chaos happening, you want to be safe, stand behind this guy. (laughs) I I guess it may say a little bit too much about me, because my my favorite Dragon Ball character was Vegeta, so I think I have to sing with with pride. Nice. (laughs) Very cool. (laughs) Okay, Corwin, um, unfortunately now we have our trivia contest for you. Dear God. (laughs) Yes. I think the official name of this is the official Lantern Cast Trivia Contest Trivia Lantern Green Lantern Trivia thing. Oh boy. I, I swear to God. I, I don't even remember if I said it on the air before or not, but if if you have kids, I am naming them because I don't trust you. <laughs> <laughs> Hope, hopefully I can do as good as Darth Knight did on his, uh, his go-round. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know. These questions are pretty tough. Oh boy, is it is it earlier than series uh, volume three or volume four? I mean, uh, I would say yes. Okay, this is going to be interesting. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Question number one: In Green Lantern Rebirth number one, Carol Ferris stops at Ferris Aircraft. And right behind her, there is a sign saying how far away Coast City is. What is the distance on that sign? Are you serious? <laughs> what the hell, man? Uh, 25 miles. That's it. I can't believe you got that. Okay. <laughs> Question number two. Uh, this is from uh, Green Lantern number 40. So this is, this is very recent. What is Fatality's real name? You're a syndrome. You got it. That's that's fantastic. Can you believe this, Dan? It, it still makes me think of cinnamon rolls, to be honest. 
<laughs> Number three. In the Rage of the Red Lantern special, it was revealed what is the home planet of the Red Lanterns? Uh, Yizmont. Yes, that is Yay! Great. Okay, <laughs> number four. What is Goldface's real name? Oh, boy. Uh, Keith Kenyon. I, I, I can't even believe you just got that right. I cannot believe you just got that right. It's astonishing. I, I sleep with Green Lantern issues under my pillow. That that would probably explain it. Huh. I eat them. <laughs> okay. Then how do you reread them? Oh, you don't want to know. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay. For the final question, and this will determine whether you are an honorary lanternologist like the Darth Knight was before you. Name a Green Lantern from Sector 2828. Tell them where it is. <laughs> the Vega system is in 2828. Oh, uh, Gr what's his name? Uh, Greddy. Yes, you got it. <laughs> I think from now on, I'm just going to talk to guests by myself, and then I'll edit it into our episodes and just not tell you. <laughs> That'll be best for everyone. <laughs> I'll record sound bites. <laughs> we're teaching the listeners at least so they're gaining knowledge from it exactly yeah. okay so now that we got the introduction and trivia out of the way and Corwin you are our second honorary lanternologist congratulations now we thank are going you, to you. we're going to move right into news so for the first piece of news, we have Solomon Grundy number five, continuing from last issue's awesome Green Lantern appearance. I'm not going to spoil this one too much. There's not really a lot of Green Lantern aspects in it, just a little bit of Alan Scott basically not exactly taking him off the table like I had suspected in issue number four. But Who'd have is, thought? Yeah, well, I thought it was pretty cool anyway. I can't really have all... anything more to say. Yeah. Is, that, is that all you had? Yeah, pretty much. I, have, I haven't really read the issue, but I, I guess it's kind of cool that they're tying Grundy into the whole Blackest Night thing. I mean, have you guys seen the cover? Well, you guys talked about it on the last episode, the cover of issue 7. Yeah. Yes. We'll see how much of a party has to play in the event. Yeah, I'm actually surprised because I thought, like, I didn't think this was really going to connect with everything else going on. I thought they were just kind of... I don't know, I guess it makes it, it makes more sense now, but I thought they were just kind of throwing a Grundy miniseries out there just for the hell of it. Right, yeah. It's actually having some sort of bearing on how things are actually coming along. Yeah. And, well, and it gives Alan Scott more to do, too, so that's cool. After you guys reviewed that, uh, that trade a while ago, there is kind of, I guess, a relation between the two. They faced each other before, even... Even oh, though, yeah. uh, I guess the story is less than spectacular in somebody's opinion. <laughs> Jim yeah. Jim just hates fun and old people. <laughs> it, it didn't meet some people's expectations, Dan. Hey, all right, you know what? You go in. This is the, this is exactly like our continuity discussion all over again. You want things to be like have grand revelations and tie into this and that and matter. I just want like a fun comic in the forties. Yeah, I just want a fun comic that makes sense. 
like an invisibility ray that makes people invisible as opposed to an invisible ray that also acts like a laser gun. Granted, that was like the big leap of the issue, but whatever. You know what? <laughs> is it is it anything like Doctor Horrible where they just take take a piece of tape and just write death ray on it? <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> that oh, would have been better. I, I never saw the end of Doctor Horrible. Me neither. I found what? it like I found it like an hour or something before they took it offline for free. Really? And I went back to watch yeah, I went back to watch the rest of it and I'm like, oh hell, where did it go? The ending is the best part. Oh, probably. <laughs> no, it is. Definitely. I'll have to find that. Did they ever put that on DVD or something? They Weren't did. they going to do that? Yes. Yeah, it was and on Amazon for a while, and I think my LCS had something of it up in there, in the store. Oh. Yeah, actually, oh, the the commentary is a musical as well. Really? Yeah. Seriously? <laughs> I'm yeah, going like, to have to get that now. You buy the DVD, <laughs> and, like, during the entire, you know, commentary track, it's it's a musical as well. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it's like Joss Whedon singing about what you're seeing. Yeah, and I think there's some of the uh, some of the actors join him for the commentary track. <laughs> I ended up buying the soundtrack on iTunes. Uh, I know my wife. I, I'll sing. I'll sing the songs. I know most of them by heart, so I'll sing them to my wife just to annoy her. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, that is awesome, but has nothing to do with Green Lantern news. So okay, Dan, back to the news. Dan, <gasps> take it away. So I was looking through the uh, the books that are for, up for pre-order this month, and they have solicited the hardcover of Agent Orange. And something I've been racking my brain over is Agent Orange is only four issues long. So what are they going to do about this? Like I'm thinking to myself, they're not going to put out like a four-issue hardcover. Because if you remember, Rage of the Red Lanterns was in the same boat. It was four issues long. And they padded that with two extra issues, which was the uh, two-issue Alpha Lantern story that had, uh, was it, Lara becoming a Red Lantern. So that kind of tied in to the beginning of that trade anyway. But there's there's really nothing else they haven't collected already from the current run. And there's really no older classic material that would be appropriate for this. So I couldn't figure out what were they going to do? What else were they going to put in this? And... I, got, I read the solicitation, and it turns out the answer is nothing. <laughs> it's The hardcover is it's Green Lantern issues 39 through 42. It's just it's the four issues of Agent Orange, which retails at regular price $19.99. So you're essentially paying like five bucks an issue. Well, if you go to DCBS, I think they have it for like 40 off, I think. It's like eleven ninety nine. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Can't go yeah, which, wrong. Which is which is a lot better, but at the same time, you know, you know, we're fortunate that like we know about DCBS and we we do go that route, or at least I do, and I I don't know if either of you guys go through there. We'll be soon. But how much does that stink for people who are just going into their comic shops and either like picking up off the shelf or having them pre-order it for them? Well, yeah, yeah. Here's my question: Do we know for a fact? That it's definitely not going to come with anything else. I yeah. think so because they have to stick to the solicits for the most part. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at the blurb right now. Because uh, like I think we've we've had instances in the past where they've solicited things and you know it says what's going to be in the book 
and then when you get the book, and it turns out there's a little bit more. You know, that, that has definitely happened in the past. And I'm just wondering if maybe they're planning on putting in that Green Lantern core or the Green Lantern, Tales of the Green Lantern core story about Gretty when he became a Green Lantern or maybe even the issue where Jon Stewart allows Zanshi to be destroyed. That would be an interesting one because it would really fit. That would. I'm not sure that would really provide enough pages, though, because unless it was a retelling, Jon Stewart letting Zanshi explode happened in the Cosmic Odyssey miniseries. Right. So you would have, like, like a few pages here and there just kind of thrown together. Like, you, it, well, would, it definitely wouldn't be enough for, like, a full issue or anything. Not that this really relates to anything in Agent Orange. I don't think they've traded the two issues of Green Lantern Corps with... Uh... Alpha Lantern Budika, or however you pronounce her name. How do you pronounce it? Budika. I think Budica. that's it. Budika, yeah. Her, her two-issue uh, spotlights, those were never traded in anything. That's true. Her and her uh, her sister, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Hated those issues. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, could, they, could, they could stick that in there if they don't have anything else, but... I mean, if I mean, all right. Let's let's take this at face value, though. Is twenty bucks for a hardcover that contains only four issues worth it to you guys? Because I know, like, the price pricing and price increases is like the hot button topic in the comic world right now. So, is this kind of thing like? Do you see a lot of comic fans going for this? And we're talking standard size, right? Not oversize. Yeah, it's like a regular size collection. No, no definitely not. I'm I'm too spoiled anyway with. The savings we get online. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't do it. It's just more books you could be buying with the money you save. That's true. And I, I am think because I've been, I was telling Jim off air, I've, I've been going back and I've been getting the collections of the current Green Lantern series, just because I've had, you know, an incident or two with loaning issues out to people. I kind of, I kind of need a uh, hard backup for my collection now. <laughs> Um, because now there's some holes that I don't particularly <laughs> want to fill again. I was about to say, you can always turn to binding. That's what I've done since I first started buying Green Lantern. I went all the way back to the beginning of Volume 4 and the new Green Lantern Corps, and I've got them all bound in different hardcover volumes. True, true. I th- I suppose I've still got kind of the the stereotypical fears and associated with binding of, like, like, oh, man, is, is it going to come out that great? Is it going to cut off too much? Is it going to, like, get lost in the mail or whatever? But, like, <laughs> I, I know, as soon as I, like, do my first one, I'm probably going to be like, oh, that's perfectly fine. Everything's cool. My, my thought yeah. on that is, uh, like, I like to have my set of floppies. Like, I have my entire collection of Green Lantern mm-hmm. floppies. And there are certain trades that I will get, like, you know, with, uh, with the, the current Green Lantern series, like, as they come out with the trade paperback, I've been picking it up just to have, like, another reference copy. But, yeah, as far as, like, actually getting them bound up, I mean, I don't know that I would think that's that necessary. I mean, especially, like, for me, I would have to have a second, you know, set of issues just to, you know, get them bound. I'm kind of spoiled on having them on the bookshelf now instead of having them in bags and boards and boxes because anytime I feel like just flipping through, I can pull it right off the shelf and flip through. And me personally, I'm never going to be getting rid of these issues. I I, I would probably never sell them. I'm probably going to get them buried with me when I die or something. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, 
Binding them works for me because I know I'm never going to get rid of them. How many issues do you bind into a story? Well, you can put it anywhere you want. Um, It's a maximum of two inches of thickness. So you can actually squeeze in quite a lot. So I've got it breaking up into different groups. If you guys check out the binding boards, you'll see it there. Like I have the whole Sinestro core and a little bit of of the aftermath in one bind. Um, Actually, now that Emerald Eclipse is done, everything from the beginning of Ring Quest all the way to the last issue of Emerald Eclipse, I'm going to have bound in one volume called War of Light. And then, my next, and then my next volume is going to be The Blackest Night. So it's, I have a nice master mastermind plan going on with it all. Now, now, you're one of those guys on the forum that's just, this goes crazy binding everything, right? Yes! I, uh, I even went <laughs> back and collected um, most of the fall of Hal Jordan. So from what is it, issue 47 and then zero hour judgment day of ju- ju- judgment day day of judgment day of judgment called? yeah day of judgment see i'm not a dc fan so all this stuff is new to me so i ended up going back and binding all that stuff together and i'm gonna read through it fairly soon nice yeah that's that's a cool collection yeah i guess i'm in a weird place right now where i'm like i'm kind of i'm kind of deciding like what's going to be the fate of my individual issues, you know, not just for Green Lantern, but for everything altogether. Like, like, what am I? What am I going to? What do I want to keep forever? What do I want to keep forever as issues? What do I want to bind? What do I want to sell? What do I want to just give away? I'm not sure. I'm just not sure yet. How long have you been reading comics or collecting? It feels like my entire life, but like, like I, well, I've got like how many is it? Or eight, twelve long boxes and three short boxes full, and it's cool. I've been going since like, since when? I used to read read just sporadically whatever, and then I started following things monthly when Kyle Rayner started up. So, regularly with books, I've been reading since I guess it was ninety three. Was that ninety three? Yeah, it was ninety three. Yeah, we've we've been we've been at it roughly about the same time. I think I really started getting into it in like ninety, ninety one, ninety two. That's that's around the same time for me. How much shelf space? This is turning into a great discussion about binding. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> How much space do you end up devoting to your bound comics? Oof. Well, let's see. After a real trip, quick trip to IKEA, I have one, two, so three. Three columns, one, two, three, four, five, six rows of different um, trades and binds. So it's quite a lot. For for a good while, I was actually converting my collection from regular issues to trades. And then once I found once I found out about binding, it was like a total reversal because once you get married, it's going to be a. I don't know if you guys are married. I'm sorry. Any of you guys married? Soon. Nah. <laughs> Soon, okay. Once you actually live with a woman, space is going to become a big issue. Oh yeah. yeah. Especially when you have children, it's going to get even worse. <laughs> so the long boxes kind of had to go. So I eventually started trying to fill up the bookshelf, and I've been getting rid of long boxes. I I think the most long boxes I ever had was probably eight to ten, and now I think I'm down to six. <laughs> so I've been making some progress. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm looking forward to Super Show because I'm just gonna bring at least one long box full of stuff that I know I don't want anymore and just kind of leave it there. 
But that's cool. So you, so you essentially have like one entire bookcase full of nothing but bound comics. Oh no, only one row is bound comics. I probably have. As a matter of fact, I just got four more today. Um, probably about thirty-six to forty different bound editions. Oh my wow. god! Wow. I'm definitely cool. getting Blackest Night bound. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. And then you can refer to that reading order thread on the forum. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got it all laid out for anybody who wants to put their stuff in chronological order. Nice. Yeah, you laid out the last three years to go with it, too, didn't you? I'm telling you, man. Once once Jeff Johns hooked me with that Green Lantern 25, I was just a zombie. I think Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps are the first DC books I actually buy monthly. (laughs) That's very cool. I think... I can't remember if I said this on the forum or not, but the very fact that, like, number 25 was, like, your entry point is just amazing. Because there's, there's <laughs> certain issues there's certain issues that you read as, like, as someone who's already a fan of this, and you think, like, all right, this is, this is a great payoff for me. But, like, it's, it's one of those where I never would have guessed, like, okay, someone brand new to this could come in, read, like, the the tail end of this story with all this crap going on and get hooked. Once once he introduced the whole idea of the other cores, it totally blew my mind. And I, that's that's when it really got me. Once the, the he went into the whole emotional spectrum and the different colors, I was like, okay, this is for me. I absorbed it all like a sponge. It was just it was very addictive and it just made complete sense and I was surprised I guess in the past they have touched on it a little bit because you know with the star sapphires in love um what's the other ones they actually touched on a little bit Sinestro and his yellow ring even though they never really well at least as far as I know they didn't really relate it to fear in the past but sprinkled through history of Green Lantern there has been little hints of it and John's just kind of brought it all to the forefront and just just made it click yeah they He's been really good at taking the stuff that we already had and making it work in a new context. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let me okay. not sidetrack you guys anymore. Back back to the issue at hand. Yeah. Uh, all right, so what are we doing? Are we, are we taking our first break? I think we are due for our first break now. Hey, this is Dan Kersky for Not Quite Radio. Here we talk about comics, movies, and video games. That's right, Rob, and our psychic is a mechanical gopher named Stabby. Jimmy, shut up. A lot of times, though, we go off topic and talk about what stupid things celebrities are doing. Why can't I talk? If you had something interesting to say, then you could speak. So check out Not Quite Radio on iTunes or notquiteradio.lipson.com. I just don't... Get out. Just get out. Hi, everybody. We are back from our first break. I missed us. I ate a nice sandwich on my break. <laughs> oh, was there mustard? mustard? I hate mustard. You hate no. mustard? I hate mustard. Dude, <laughs> I think this show's over right now. Oh, uh, oh boy. King of Tangents, Dan. <laughs> I'm not helping any either. <laughs> no, we just blame Dan. Mustard hater. Oh. <laughs> what? So, Jim, were you saying something? Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I believe I was. We are here to review the second half of Agent Orange, the uh, Orange Lantern storyline running through Green Lantern. It's issues 41 and 42. And uh, Corwin, you want to give us a synopsis of issue 41? Oh, I'll definitely give it a shot. Uh, 
issue 41, Agent Orange Part 3. Hal wakes up underground with Larflees, a.k.a. Agent Orange, and he makes it known that he is always hungry. His appetite is insatiable. Um, Hal actually describes him as a boar cross with one of the Muppets, which is pretty funny because for the rest of the issue, he's always trying to figure out who he reminds him of. But uh, Larflees talks about his dinner with some, what does he say, roasted haggle-beast and steamed rip root for dessert. His food sounds disgusting, but he seems to eat any and everything. He has Hal underground and he's trying to get the blue ring off of Hal's finger. Um, well, he tries to get the ring off Hal's finger and the ring kind of shocks him, so he gets a bit upset at Hal, but um, Hal tries to make a run for it as well. While above ground, the Guardians and the Green Lantern Corps are dealing with Agent Orange's constructs or the rest of the Orange Lantern Corps. Um, John Stewart almost gets assimilated. I guess is the proper term until fatality comes to save him. Um, did you guys, can you guys figure out which artist like does which parts of the book? Because not only is, uh, what's his name? Philip Tan. Tan. There's also Eddie Barrows, but I'm taking it. He's the one with the painted panels. I think I didn't really notice the first time around because, you know, Tan's work was a little inconsistent in the first two issues, but I had thought like maybe Eddie Barrows did the flashback sequence. Unless sure that was Pam, too. I couldn't tell, but the painted panels are beautiful. It almost makes you wish the whole issue could be like that. I think the painted panels are probably uh, Glapian. Because he's the one that's also doing the variant painted covers. I, I can't really tell the difference between Tan and Burroughs, then. But anyway, back to the topic at hand. We also see Sinestro on planet Ungara looking at a tombstone. Um... I'm taking it's probably his wife, but we don't really know for sure, because at this point in time, he's left um, his daughter, <laughs> Saranik, not to. Uh, we see a little bit of Ash, which is one of my favorite characters for some reason, and I think I've only read him in that one Green Lantern Corps quarterly. Yes. I actually have that issue signed by Ron Mars. Pretty awesome. But, yeah, he's hunting more vampires while he's still on his mission to find the corpse of the Anti-Monitor. We cut back to underground with Hal, and he's trying to deal with Agent Orange, and we see there are hundreds and hundreds of orange rings also underground. So Hal actually tries to bide his time and trick um, Agent Orange into telling him a story in exchange for the ring, just to see if he can maybe, hopefully the Corps or the Guardians will come save him. We get a flashback a couple eons ago of uh, Larflees and some other people from his tribe where they... Um, invaded Malthus and stole a bunch of stuff from the Guardians. It's pretty interesting because you do see the Manhunters in this issue, um, and they're also carrying the square batteries, which I think I read somewhere was like what they, the old school with the um, Manhunters. But Larflees and his crew end up stealing a map and a few other things, and the map is actually belonged to Corona, which was the the Guardian that wanted to peak at the beginning of existence and... I guess what he does kind what he does kind of changes throughout DC universe history. But at one point in time, he was the person that released evil into the world or made the universe old. Do you guys want to extrapolate on that? Any? We'll, we'll get to, we get that, to that after. Okay. okay. So <clears throat> they find his map, and it's supposed to lead them to some big, huge treasure. And they end up going to Okara, where the plants end up killing one of them, and then the rest of them stumble underground to where they find the orange lantern which is the central power battery of the orange power. But 
the three remaining survivors all fight over the battery as the guardians and the manhunters bust in onto the scene and it's just straight utter chaos as some of the guardians are killed by the orange light that the three uh i don't even know what their race are but larfrey's tribe the three of them are holding onto the orange lantern fighting over it and stray blasts are just going all over the place killing manhunters and guardians left and right and eventually the guardians decide to cut a deal with larfley's for a box they say they'll they'll leave him alone in the vega system and keep it off limits if they if they return the box to him come to find out in the box is probably parallax um with his story finished being told he tries to get the ring from hal and once again gets shocked and then he gets pretty ticked off and decides he's going to take the ring forcibly and he chops off hal's hand very nice now i know you guys were shocked as i am that he actually did that at the end right absolutely yeah and the thing with this like by this point we had already seen blackest night zero for free comic book day where hal had you know both arms <laughs> so it was, it was it was like wait a minute <laughs> what yeah. the what the hell how are they gonna get around this i don't what what <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm when we get there i'm i'm pretty pleased with how they did it um something i thought was worth mentioning uh, the shot was Sinestro at the cemetery. Right. I wasn't really sure where he was supposed to be either, so I looked up, uh, what was it, Angara? That's mm-hmm. where Abin Sur is from. Yeah, he's a, he's at he's visiting Abin Sur's grave. Right. Ah, wasn't it? Wasn't there like a huge shrine or something where, back in a, well, what story arc was that? The Wanted story arc. Wasn't there some shrine or something where they brought back his remains? This looks like a different grave, but, you know, you're probably right. It's probably just the artist's rendition of it. Yeah. I mean, I know he has... He definitely has, like, a statue somewhere on the planet. Because I remember Hal... I remember, like, that scene that you're talking about where Hal's standing in front of it, and it, he, he uh, carves into the base of it. Or it says it already says, like, Abinsur, Green hero, Lantern, it says and Father. Of, hero of Angara and Father. Yeah, and he adds in the end father part. But, I mean, I took it like that was a monument, like, in a town square or something kind of thing, and this is where he's actually buried, or or I don't know. It's just strange, though, because even at the beginning of the panel where you see Sinestro, it's it, it's a quote from Fatality saying, have you ever been in love? Oh, that's true. So, we'll see where it leads. When, uh, in, in the Green Lantern, uh, wanted issue it's interesting because apparently as Hal Jordan flies off at the gravesite like the very next panel you have like a yellow light like appearing on the opposite side of the grave I never actually noticed that before hmm. oh he broke out the issue he'll do that from time to time <laughs> and I just said it's probably Amin his son Amon or maybe it's like because I mean Sinestro like that was like Abin was one of the only other people in the core he considered a friend, so maybe, maybe he makes periodic visits, just to kind of I don't want to say hang out with his dead friend, but just to like the visit the gravesite just out of respect. Right. I don't know, cause he remember he he did just leave Sarnik, so I don't know if he's feeling sentimental for his family or something is what I'm getting from it, but that could definitely be it, cause I didn't even think about the the continued line from Fatality at the top there. Which that would definitely, that would imply that he has strong feelings for whoever's grave it is he's visiting. 
Now, just in terms of a, of a line of events, are we to understand, like, Sinestro from here is going to Zamoron to liber- liberate his captured soldiers, and then to Daxum to deal with Mongol over in Green Lantern's War? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he's got to gather the troops. Okay, because I remember, like, a, mu- a couple months ago, I sat down, I read, like, Green Lantern, and then I read Green Lantern Corps, and in one he says, all right, I'm off to Zamorod to do this, and then the other he's like, all right, I'm off to Daxum to do this. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> where, where the hell is he going? <laughs> so I'm not sure. I, I was really taken by surprise, even though this is going back again, when he when he unveiled the second central power battery. That was a pretty cool uh, reveal. Definitely. And it's something I never even thought of, because, I mean, if their central battery did blow up, how would they remained active all this time so it's like it's a little detail that like just completely went over my head yeah that's that's true now as you had mentioned about Krona when the when this guild of uh, villains um, Larflees' crew when they steal the, the map and the treasure they're stealing it from Maltus which is the planet where the guardians originated from um actually the zamorans and the controllers also come from maltus but what's more important is that it shows us that apparently krona had parallax like contained in a box and he had a map to find the orange lantern so, you know, that makes me think that Krona, you know, even back then was fully aware of the emotional spectrum and was, like, going after, like, the powers to control them. Well, I don't think Krona specifically put Parallax in the box. I think that was Guardians in general. Because, I mean, they didn't have the central battery at this point. I think, like, it was just the map that was his. You think? Yeah, that's how I took it anyway. Well, the, the Guardians weren't even surprised by the orange power battery as well, so they must have run across it before. Oh, wait a second. The orange power is greed. And how would you symbolize, how would you sum up Krona and his, like, his thirst for, you know, knowing what would happen at the beginning of the universe? He wants Uh what he wants at all costs. Right. Like, maybe he has come in contact with... Oh, shoot. Well, it's his map. It's his map. He's seen the orange light before. The other guardians don't want to touch the orange light. They don't want to go anywhere near the battery because they already know what happened to Krona. He's in the so, battery. Well, even if he's not in the bat, well, that that's that's another idea. But even if he's not in the battery, maybe it just corrupted him to the point that he did what he did because he was corrupted by the orange power. That's a very cool idea. I hadn't thought of that. But what Corwin, what you said, if he is in the battery, then how interesting would it be if it turns out that Krona is actually the like the entity for the orange <laughs> power? Hmm. Well, we can touch on that a little bit more in the next issue after we uh we see what happens to Hal. Is there anything else you guys wanted to cover in this one? Then you guys are gonna be excited now. I'm very happy that someone along the way apparently rebuilt Stell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In this issue, we see that apparently violet energy, it either absorbs or dissipates the orange constructs. Yeah, that w- that one didn't make a whole mess of sense to me, but I think it's kind of necessary, too. Right. 
keep it vague. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you can't have Orange running around being like this unstoppable force. I mean, you have you have the one. I I don't think we even said. Did we even say like Orange cannot absorb blue? That's like the one thing it can't absorb. Right. You have on the one end, you have the energy that it can absorb. You should at least have one kind of energy that does work against it offensively too. It's going to be interesting to see how Johns balances out these the spectrum and the powers and what exactly the effects they have on each other. I mean, I'm pretty certain he has something in mind where there's a checks and balances to it all. Oh, yeah. One thing to point out also, uh, either two or three Guardians ended up dying the uh, the battle for the Orange Lantern. Ah, uh, yes. You're uh, going back a few episodes, your widening of the rift. Well, you know, I like to point it out when it happens. Well, here's another question, then. Does that mean that they're that they are constructs now in the Orange Lantern as well? Yeah, they should be. They should, because of what happened with the controllers. They should be in there somewhere. Actually, I fact... Oh, wait, no. It was two that were killed, and the reason that I thought it was three is because you actually already <laughs> see the construct of one of the Guardians in orange, like, in that panel. That's true, in that battle scene with her, uh... Yeah. Yeah, okay. As well as one of... One of... What are they called? Hold on, they say it at the end, don't they? Oh, they're, uh... Oh, that too? Yeah. I I think the first page of this issue is, like, my favorite page out of the whole thing. Because it just... Like, it has such a strong mood to it, and it's... It's where everything feels like it's the most balanced, you know? Like the art is consistent here. The color is, uh, it, it's the color is just deep enough. They use lighting just right, and I don't know. I think I think like I don't I don't want to like rag on Philip Tan forever. It's it's just like from here the art was kind of like touch and go a little bit. Like that that's like that's a downside to having like several artists take you know take part in this. Yeah, which it does help now that I realize there was more than just him because I thought it was like a hundred percent Philip Tan because I didn't, I like I took for granted that I knew who was drawing it so I didn't really like read the credits box because I thought I knew. They also have three anchors too. Thank oh, God. Jesus. Yeah, thank <laughs> God. Um, and actually, I was mistaken before when I said that Glapian was the uh, the guy that was painting the covers. That was actually. Uh, was it Miliari? Yeah, Miliari is doing the painted covers. Glapian was the art of the inker that I was not a fan of in the, I believe, the first part. Hmm. I, I, I don't know. I thought that the art in these two parts were, like, like so much drastically better. Like, you can see the, the work that Philip Tan put into the pencils. It's not just, like, completely blotted out. There's not, like an overabundance of, like, cross-hatching that's just kind of, like, drowning out all the actual detail that Philip Tan put into the pencil work. Yeah, so I, I agree. It's 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 better. It, it's, it's... My, my take on the art for the, se- the final two issues of the story is I still have a problem with it, but it's for completely different reasons from the first two issues of the story, <laughs> which is such so odd. Like, I'm... I'm, I, the last visual thing I'll comment on for this issue, and then we can move on, is I am kind of disappointed that um, Hal's suit 
it's just kind of straight up half and half blue and green. Whereas in like the first two chapters, it was kind of this fluidly moving amount. Like it was, it was constantly changing every panel, like how much was blue, how much was green. And so this one just kind of took the easy way out. Isn't, isn't the blue side supposed to be a whole different design though than the green side? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, They got lazy with it. Yeah. But um, Nay Rafino or Nay Harvey, pronounce her name. She actually has a deviant, deviant, is it deviant art? Right. Yeah. She has a deviant page where she actually has her color, her work up that she done on Green Lantern. So, you guys, may want to check that out too. There's some pretty beautiful stuff. Definitely. That she does. One thing that I do want to comment on the art, like as much <clears throat> as I do like this more than the first couple of parts, one of the big disappointments to me was. When they show them stealing the treasure, like, you have, like, this tiny little panel where you see some of the treasure, and it's basically just generic objects, some gems, like, uh, you have a cup, and, you know, just a bunch of, like, little blocks or whatever. I mean, like, the way I see it, like, that is, like, a severely missed opportunity. Because if you had someone along the lines of Ivan Reese or Ethan Van Skyver, they like to put in little, like, nods to different things and little Easter eggs and whatnot. Like, that is the perfect spot to put in an Easter egg for some, like, rare artifact that has significance somewhere <clears throat> else in the DC universe that maybe you just get a, you know, a little sighting of right then and there. That would have been so cool. They should put in, like, Bruce Wayne's skeleton just to screw with us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would have been insane. <laughs> All right, Jim, um, you want to you do issue 42? Well, before we do that, like, two more things that I want to touch on. One, purely for the trivia aspect, I checked out the names and the order at which the Uga 2 aliens of the guilds, the Orange Guild, die. First you have Chattel, then you have Flob, then you have Turpa, then you have Blooch, and the last one remaining is Larflees. <clears throat> Just in case okay. anybody wanted to know about that. And the other thing that I wanted to comment on is the amazing variant cover done by Eddie Barrows. Oh god, I wish I had that one. It's so beautiful. I love it. Yeah, I. the only way I can describe this to people is... Like it looks like it should be painted on the outside of a van. It's like it's just awesome. Well, I can make it easy for everybody. Just head to thecomicaddiction.com <laughs> under events. I have my countdown to Blackest Night page, and it will actually show you the reg- the regular and the variant covers for all the issues that I've reviewed. Actually, yes. I was checking that out, and I got to see some of the variant covers that I had not seen prior. Yeah, I've, most of the variant covers on this thing, like especially for the later issues, I've never seen before. Some of them I hate the fact that I have the ones I have. <laughs> That's where buying the trade will help you out. You'll you'll get the covers in there. True. Will you? Maybe. Yeah, they put the covers in the trades. Oh, cool. Maybe that's what they'll do. They'll pad out the Agent Orange hardcover with just every variant cover from Green Lantern this far so far. <laughs> I wouldn't set your hopes too high on that one. Ah, uh, but what do you hope for, Jim? What do you hope for? <laughs> what do I hope for? 
I hope for a synopsis of 42. Well, then that is what you will get. Okay, so... Oh, boy, this is a big synopsis. <laughs> In issue 42, it starts off with Larfleeze, you know, getting the blue ring off of Hal's chopped-off arm. He puts the blue ring on, Larfleeze. And all of a sudden, the blue starts quenching the orange hunger that's constantly singing to Larflees. But then it turns out that it was all an illusion, and it was just the ring protecting itself. So now you have Hal. He actually didn't, he never lost his arm, and he starts coming back to fight Larflees with his own Green Lantern core that he generates with his own power which is being amped up by the blue ring. Then we do a, we go over to what's going above ground, what's going on above ground, and you have Fatality. She's like totally coming on to Jon Stewart, who apparently never hated her. He just always was angry with himself for allowing Zanshi to be destroyed. We go back to Hal and... Since Larflees is has to focus so much on fighting Hal, the rest of the core and the Guardians get kind of a reprieve as some of the Orange Lanterns are leaving them to go help fight Hal. Hal makes a desperate attempt to grab the Orange Battery away from Larflees to try and cut off his power supply. And then that's where we get our amazing cover of Hal Jordan being taken over by the Orange Power. But it only lasts a very, very short amount of time as Larflee steals the battery back, amps his power up to 7,839%, and just as he is about to destroy Hal Jordan and the rest of the Green Lantern Corps, finally Hal is able to use the blue ring. He uses all of the power in the ring... It ends up recharging the entire core, but all that happens to Larflees is that, like, he used up some of his power, and he's still there, and he has access to all that power again. But before he is able to use it again, the Guardians make a new pact with him. The uh, Larflees agrees to not go after the Green Lanterns. In exchange, the, Gre the Guardians tell Larflees the location <laughs> of Odom which is the home of the Blue Lantern, so that Larflees can go and get his own ring. We close out with Larflees going after the Blue Lanterns, who are pretty much defenseless since there's no Green Lanterns in the area. And the issue ends with Ash and Sarek, who were searching for the husk of the Anti-Monitor. They finally find it in the center of a giant Black Lantern, and their presence awakens the lantern as two giant hands come out of the ground, screaming for flesh. Do you guys really think the blue lanterns are powerless even with Ganthet and Sade around them? Yes. I don't know about that. Because, I mean, St. Walker said, like, like without the, the green lanterns around, they can still... They still have limited capabilities, like they can still fly and survive in space and stuff. I think that's it. Yeah, but now on that point, something. All right, my my first read the the last two pages before the epilogue. My first reaction was was oh hell I like Odom I don't want anything to happen to them. But then I thought about it for a few minutes and 
I'm not entirely sure how much danger they're actually in. Because, alright, we know the orange light cannot absorb the blue. And for as powerful as Larflees is, he just got knocked on his ass by someone with a blue ring who had absolutely no idea what he was doing. So if you have a group of people, even if it's a handful, who are trained to use their blue rings, actually know what they're doing with them, not to mention having a pair of guardians wielding blue light helping them, you know, are they... Is this really going to be that one-sided of a fight? Well, here's my thought. As far as I can see, <laughs> the Blue Lanterns are going to be powerless without a Green Lantern. So I don't think that, you know, even though they know how to use the ring, without a Green Lantern in the area, they're not going to be able to do anything with it. But, <laughs> like, that's, that is the, that's the benefit of... The, the Blue Lantern, which is also the limitation, like that extra limitation that Johns was talking about. Mm. When Hal uses up all of his hope, and he just basically erases, you know, he uses up the entire charge of his ring, just, you know, holding off Larflees. All of a sudden, when there's no power left, the ring says, Blue Lantern invalid, search for a new ring bearer. What I think that means is that if you are completely without hope, like, after <laughs> you get the ring on, you know, you can't use it, you can't take it off until you use it up. Yeah. But if you use it up and you don't have any more hope in you, then you lose the ring, which is why <laughs> they have to find these people that, like, you know, the as the saying goes, hope springs eternal. Like, they have to find people that, like, will never be without hope. Otherwise, they would lose the ring. Kind of like yeah. with a Green Lantern, you have to be able to overcome great fear. And, you know, it used to be you, you, you can't have any fear. And you have mm -hmm. to be able to overcome your anger. With a Blue Lantern, you know, similar concept, but you have to be always with hope in order to be a Blue Lantern. Yeah, Hal's kind of the uh, the disposable camera of Blue Lanterns. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I don't think the Blue Lanterns are in too, too much trouble just because Ganthet and Sage should be able to do a little something. I think they're really going to be in deep once the Red Lanterns arrive because let's not forget, you know, Atrocitus is on his way as well. Yeah, they're... Yeah. The, the, the Ganthet and Sage are definitely the wild cards here. And I mean, hell, they, like I, I don't assume it's like as easy as flipping a light switch or anything. But I mean, if if those two wanted to, they could start using green energy again. Like they decided to switch over to blue, they could go back. But if they're the guardians of hope, and if they have to switch over to green, then that's kind of like them turning their back on hope which would almost invalidate the core. Well, who's to say the Guardians need to have a Green Lantern around? Yeah, because, I mean, even back when the Yellow Impurity was absolute, the Guardians were immune to the limitation of the rings. You know, they didn't run out of power, they could work on Yellow regardless. So, you know, just because the Blue Lanterns may, or may need to have Green Lanterns nearby in order to use their powers to their fullest, 
like there's nothing to say that the guardians who wield the blue light are bound by the same limitations. Like Ganthet and Sade could conceivably turn back this this tidal wave of orange constructs. That's a good point. Well, I was about to say we'll see how it goes because just remember now the the whole group of what six seven regular Green Lantern guardians really couldn't do much against the constructs even though we are working with a different color so they'll probably stick to blue still and not even try to switch to green. Yeah. The other thing that we have to keep in mind is that they had just been saying in one of the previous issues <laughs> that their new, I think it was like the last issue of the Rage of the Red Lantern storyline, where they said that their new priority is going to have to be to find the Indigo Lanterns. Yeah, hope and compassion working together. Right. So that's, that's, a, that's a possibility. There is also a possibility that a Green Lantern will, like, you know, pop into the area or something like that. Let's yeah, see. I think once once some of the core starts to catch wind of what the Guardians did here, I, like, I can definitely see Hal and like, some others going to check on Odom. Let's, let's, let's flip back to the beginning of the issue and take things from there because there's some, definitely some juicy tidbits I'd like to touch on. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm very happy with how they got around the Hal arm thing. I think it works perfectly. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> A hint dropped by Fatality where she says, um, basically she says that Zanchi wasn't exactly innocent in the whole war of light. Yeah. Can somebody tell us some more about that? I've never read that story, so I wasn't sure exactly what her people were like to begin with. I think I've only ever read Zanchi in the story where it exploded, and there you didn't really get a good look at the population, I don't think. Um, Yeah, I'm not entirely sure either. I know they sent, like, I mean, they say in here that they sent her as a child to to our, to Okara to be trained by, like... Warlords. What, warlords. So, I mean, you know, take that for what you will, like, a society that'll send, like, a young girl off to, you know, this planet of all places to get trained by, by like, freaking warlords that live here. Okay, so they're a warrior race. Well, no, actually, because it says that she was training to be their protector. So, I mean, you kind of have to wonder, like, what kind of a race, though, would send female child to be trained by warlords to become the protector of their people? Sounds like some group that doesn't like conflict, that doesn't fight, so probably compassion. You think they're going to be pacifists? Oh, God, that would make it so much worse for John. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. I, like, that would be very cool. If it turns out like, that Zanshi is the Indigo homeworld. I don't know, because the way that she says it... Like, I, I have the panel right here now. Uh, what's, what does she say? The next time you are among the remains of Zanshi, burying your grief over your wife beneath the weight of my homeworld, do what the Star Sapphires enabled me to do. Forgive yourself, Jon Stewart. For Zanshi was not as innocent in the War of Light as you might believe. That, to me, says that, like... I don't know if I'm just looking for negative stuff in these issues or what, but that, to me, says, like, they were up to some bad shit that (laughs) that is going to matter very soon. Definitely a negative connotation to what they were up to, so... Well, it's... Yeah, it sounds like a negative connotation. However, it 
it might be that it's instead of like supposed to be a negative connotation, it may just be implying that since they weren't innocent in the War of Light, that they had a part to play in the War of Light. Now, I mean, the Green Lanterns have a part to play in the War of Light. The, the Violet Lanterns have a part to play in the War of Light. They all have a part to play. Yeah, but that doesn't mean... I I, I don't believe that it's as straightforward as... Uh, these are the Color Lanterns who are all positive, and these are the Color Lanterns that are all negative. I think every single one of them, regardless of what side of the spectra- spectrum they're on, has just as much good to them as bad. Well, how much good does greed have? I mean, like, what... What good comes of greed? In an extreme case, not much. But, you know, like depending on the situation and depending on the context, you know, a desire to obtain can help keep you alive. But that's not really like, that's not a beneficial thing to the universe. That's just like, you know, I mean, you could have a hope to be alive also. Yeah, but, but at the same time, like, if you focus too much on hope without keeping yourself grounded in the here and now, hope can will do nothing but blind you. So, like, it's not straight up as, like, well, hope is all good. Well, yeah. And I, everything I, is all yeah. bad and all that. I agree with you on that aspect. Like, I don't think, like, I think that any of them, you know, even the good ones, can be used. You know, they can be, I guess you know, used to an extreme that they would be bad, like anything. But, like, in term, in general terms, the concept of hope is a positive concept as opposed to the concept of greed, which is clearly a negative concept. I just like speculating. That way, in case it turns out to be the case, I'm right. You just like arguing <laughs> with me. That too. I knew it all along. <laughs> um... And let's talk about what happens to Hal when he grabs the orange lantern. And I am so happy Jeff Johns only only let him have it for like ten seconds or whatever, however long he had it, because you know how getting around to all the colors is a little bit. What's the what's the term I'm looking for? Um, lame. It's kind of yeah, it, it, it's kind of lame. But you know he did it perfect here. He he had it for about two or three. Well, 10 seconds before Larfrey just knocks the snot out of him, but the battery talking to him is so interesting because it goes from, you know, it says, I'm beautiful, aren't I? And then it gets into, the biggest thing for me is you need your own guardian. Your life we, your life won't be complete without your own guardian. Mm. Right. So where's Hal supposed to get his own guardian from? Well, there's a bunch right there. <laughs> put, just put one under his arm and walk home. Okay. Unless it's referring to the guardian that's inhabiting Larflees. You know, like like would, Ion and, and Parallax kind of thing? Yeah, that was my next thing I was going to say. Would the entities be considered a guardian? I don't know. It could, like It could be. Now, something that I had assumed... Like, there was... The, I think it was in the second issue of this whole thing. Uh, the guardians had a line that Larflees was as powerful as Parallax or whatever. Right. I took that to mean that the orange entity was inside of him. Right. Whereas here, they seem to be clearly portraying it that the reason he's so powerful is because, you know, his his handheld battery is the central battery. It is the equivalent of the big green one on Oa. 
It's just smaller. So, like, that's the reason why he's so powerful. So, like, I'm, I don't think the orange entity is inside him anymore. So, like, do you think, like, it's inside his battery, or? I think it could still be in Marfleys. Well, he does get the battery back with ease, so maybe it wasn't complete. Maybe his power is not completely from the battery. Yeah, because I started thinking, like, like maybe that's the voice coming from inside the battery. Maybe that's where the greed entity is, and it's talking to Hal. I love the visual. Oh, yeah, like, all of the full-page shots in this issue look amazing. Did anybody else I, notice his uh, his hair, Hal's hair in that frame? It kind of looks white, but I think it's just probably from the light. Right. I didn't yeah. see that. Yeah, I was too. White. I was too busy wanting two cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. There's a little bit of Hal's own desire in there as well. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's so perfect. Like all this cosmic stuff is going on, and he's like, and it's going like it's yours. Get everything and get a happy meal. <laughs> oh man! And then my favorite line of this book. That doesn't belong to you. Don't you dare dent it. It's in mint condition. Yes, yeah. I, I wrote that down. <laughs> John's John's loves those uh those POV characters for uh, comic fans, doesn't he? <laughs> Man, I, I love how the whole like I love how he's gotten us so used to the uh power level percentages that all of a sudden he hits you with power level 7,893%. John's range is saying, like, emotional detonation imminent. That's, like, aw- that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um... yeah he, he did draw all the constructs back into the battery as well, so. Right. And his rings, he's holding the power battery and his ring is right there, so yeah. One thing to note, too, when the Guardians are on their way, one of the Guardians actually is going against the rest. You know, <laughs> he, he says... I gave warning about waging war against the orange light. It cannot be extinguished. As long as Arvis exists, it will burn. And one of the other guardians are saying, I'm getting tired of your insubordination. And another one agrees with him. Oh, yes. Yeah. So uh, they're, they're splitting up already. You're seeing the cracks in the guardians, the, the council. One thing that I want to point out, look at the design of the orange battery. Okay. Okay. Now, what, what, is that, what does that look like to you? I'm looking for a shot where it's completely in frame. Which which page are you talking? The one where Hal's getting slammed down? Yes, exactly. What does it look like? It looks like the Green Lantern battery. Like... It looks, yes, exactly like a Green Lantern battery. If you think about it, now this looks exactly like a Green Lantern battery. You have the Green Lantern battery. You have the Blue Lantern battery, which looks exactly like a Green Lantern battery. And you have the Yellow Lantern, which... Looks very similar, but the handles are different. Yeah, so is blue. I yeah, think. blue handles are different. They look like angel wings. The blue handles are different. Yeah. Yeah. Look, if you look at the last page of this issue, it's got the, or the second to last where it's they're on Odom. You see the central battery. Well, I saw the central battery, but like the batteries think, that they carry around. I think that's what they look like. I don't think so. Like, well, well, this is my line of thinking. Like. We know that the Guardians created the Green Lantern Corps, so they created that the look of that battery. And we know that Ganthet and Saeed, they created the Blue Lanterns, and the Blue Lantern looks exactly the same. Now, if you look at the Star Sapphires, their Sapphire looks different. And if you look at the Yellow Lanterns, like, you know, theirs looks different, 
this is made different. The red lantern is made differently. But you have this orange one that looks almost exactly like the green lantern. Which makes me wonder if maybe it was created by a guardian. I wouldn't doubt it because I think they did fat the orange probably came first because the manhunters carried square square batteries. The manhunters batteries were different. Hmm. It wasn't until the Guardians created the central power battery where we get the defined look of the Green Lantern batteries. Right. It it could be further evidence that Corona had a direct had direct contact with the orange power before. Right. I gotta give it to Ethan Van Skyver with his designs for the symbols for the different cores because that orange is just perfect with all the lines that are pointing towards the center. Absolutely. I saw something on uh on Newsarama where they were dissecting these and like they they had two explanations for the orange symbol. The first one was the obvious like it's greed, so it's very it's like introverted. It's pointing in at itself. Right. Um the second was you know, if you look at it where it's got like the V on top and like the four other they made it purposely look like a little fat guy. <laughs> <laughs> a little fat rat actually. <laughs> Actually, the other thing is, if you look at it, the uh, if you disregard the um, the two lines going in, you know, to the side of the point, and you basically like, you know, do the opposite, it's indigo, which is the opposite color in the spectrum. Oh yeah, that's that's perfect. It's like it's, it's like introvert versus extrovert. It's it's it fits perfectly. I did not catch that. Yeah. Now, let's talk about how Hal gets the blue ring to work. (laughs) (laughs) That that was absolute genius. Uh, I didn't like this. You didn't like it? It was was like, like I I think I had the same reaction to this that Hal did. I was like, seriously? (laughs) Really? I mean, I wasn't looking for any, like, grand revelation about him as a person. I wasn't looking for, like, to see him, like, turn over some new leaf or something. <laughs> but the idea, but it being something so, like, stupidly simple, it, yeah. I, don't know, I just a, didn't like it. <laughs> it's a real reaction that you would have to something like that. Because eventually, after somebody's keep bugging you for the longest time, you'd just be like, I wish you'd just leave me the hell alone. It was his honest reaction, which is why the ring reacted to it. I thought it was great. I mean, to me, it's something I would say eventually after this ring keeps bugging me over and over and over. It it does seem kind of simple and silly, but it it makes sense to me. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I and and I'm I definitely agree. Like like it should be something genuine like that. But after reading like all the people like Saint Walker do and have to go through to to just be qualified for this. It seemed like like yeah he had to it had to be some kind of genuine hope but it should have been something more selfless. I almost want, yeah like almost like more selfless more lofty if that's even the right word but like something bigger than God I hope I wish you would stop that. <laughs> <laughs> the ring was getting tired of waiting his patience was growing thin. Something that was interesting was after Hal uses up all the energy, the ring flies off to find a replacement in Sector 2828. Any guesses? Well, we're talking about the Vega system, right? Right. Yeah. 
Mm. Who's in the Vegas system? One Actually, I don't know. <laughs> the, the Spider Guild, and that's all I really know about the Vegas system. And since when do Blue Rings recruit people? I thought the other Blue Lanterns supposed to pick the next. Well, that's that's the idea. I mean, and not to mention, they only have four Blue Lanterns. Um, so that's Sector 1, Sector 2, Sector Sector 3, and Sector 4. And this one's going for a replacement in Sector 28-28. This might have been, like, an emergency programming. Because, I mean, Hal really wasn't supposed to get the ring to begin with. Right. So, like, this could just be, like, a... I don't know, like a backup plan, like just in case someone gets it as soon as it's able to leave, it'll find someone who's better suited. And then maybe I like, I don't know, maybe it'll take them to Odom or I don't know. Yeah. I like the idea that like we have this wild, wild card of a blue ring flying around out there. Right. It'll save house, but in uh, blackest night number five or something, it'll just show up at the end. <laughs> Could you imagine if <laughs> blackest night starts and it just lands on Hal's finger again. He's like, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently you have more hope in you. I do like this idea that of Larfleas being more powerful than the Guardians. The way they present it right here makes so much sense. Like, they've been actively using their power. Like, you know, for as little as they do, they do actively use their power and they give it away willy-nilly to whoever they want to induct into their army. Whereas he's been hanging out for millennia and not doing pretty much anything with it so it's just been stockpiling it more and more and more so let's uh let's talk about what hal saw when he used the blue ring i don't know why he'd be too surprised about it i mean saint walker told him the same thing that sinestro is going to be integral to saving the universe so well i guess this is a little bit different because here's sinestro saying that he can't do it without hal right i th- i think this is going to be one of those things where you know, as we go, we're going to get, like, a longer cut of this vision. Um, here's something interesting. Um, with the uh, the Blue Lanterns on Odom, the the newest of the Blue Lanterns, this, uh, this girl, I guess she's from Sector 4. I don't know what her name is. But she says <laughs> that she's going to go home and fight the oppression of Evil Star. Hmm. That is one Green Lantern villain I've never like, read in a story. I'm aware of him. I'm kind of surprised he didn't make our lamest costumes on villains list. <laughs> and I know he has, like, a bunch of little, like, elves that tag along with him or something. Is he an alien? Elves? I think so. He has, like, I mean, these little, like, starlings or something. Elves or gremlins? Uh, I don't know. They're, like, they're like short little people. They're, like, they're a foot tall and they dress just like him. For some reason, I was thinking about what's the other one called? Starro. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, the Star Conqueror. Yeah. See, I'm not a DC person, so I don't really know the characters too well. But that's the first person that came to mind. So this evil star is an old school Green Lantern villain. Yes. Yeah, he was like he was one of Hal's bad guys. Uh, Did he have an affinity towards any kind of colors? I don't know, Jim. Um, thought he wore like blue and purple and stuff like that. I don't think that he is much of a lantern contender. Okay. Maybe possibly greed, but I think if that's going to go to any of Hal's villains, it's going to be Hector Hammond. This could just be like a little Easter egg for a post-Blackest Night story arc or something. Because I'm hoping, like, I I honestly hope, like, like, 
just the same way this the Sinestro Corps wasn't wiped out by the end of their war, I hope that at least most of these various cores are still around after Blackest Night, especially the blue. Because I want to see, like, there's so much story potential with these, with, like, the Emotional Spectrum cores. Like, I don't want to see that go away. Yeah, they'll, they'll stick it out. I'm pretty certain. There's too, like you said, there's too much potential for it. And as long as they use them sparingly, it'll be, it'll be interesting. They'll probably keep, like, they've been going with the Sinestros where you see them often. But these other colors are probably pop up every once in a while. Going back to the art briefly, <laughs> I know you said you like him, and in a different context, I probably would too. But like the more painted looking panels in throughout these two issues, they really started to bother me. Because like every time they wanted to do like a scene change or accentuate a point, they would just like like almost remove any black ink from it and just go for a more painterly. Almost like they wanted to like go a little blurry and then focus back in on a different scene kind of thing, like like a TV transition or something. It's just, like, there, there's definite panels where it just looks beautiful. Like, that shot of Larflees right before he explodes at them, I like, it looks great. I love it. But other in other cases, like, I can't find one right now, but it just, like, throughout these two issues, it just really just started to be like, okay, enough with that. Enough already. It, it, it's definitely a jarring change, and it for me, it really made me wish that the rest of the issue was with the painted look instead of flip-flopping back and forth. I mean, I, I like the art, but I do agree that it would have been nice if it was, like, you know, more consistent. So do you guys think uh, – I keep want to call him Billy, but, Billy, but um, Philip, do you think he, he actually started getting better now with deeper and deeper you get into the art and more issues he's in with it? I think he still has a problem drawing Jon Stewart's face consistently, but he's – like, I think – these two issues are better than the first two. And, like, maybe if he had the chance to have, like, a longer run, he probably would have would have improved even more. But I don't, I don't know. It's, it's still... I, th- I think by the time we get to issue 42, he's gotten a lot better. But at the same time, it's like it took us three issues of meh to get to okay. Well, I'm not really convinced that his art was, you know, bad at any point. Like, possibly the John Stewart, you know, thing with his face changing from scene to scene. But if we, we go back and we look at the pencils for, you know, that he's, you know, posted online, like, his pencils are so detailed. They're, like, shaded out perfectly, and it's really, it's it's beautiful to look at. I, th- I, I think, if anything, it's... It's the ink, the inking that's really, you know, detracting from his art, if anything. Yeah, someone on our forum, uh, I forget who, was it Very, Very? Was was that the person's name? Well, who, whoever, whoever it was. They made a, a good observation after looking at, at Philip Tan's, I keep wanting to call him Billy Tan too. <laughs> after looking at Philip Tan's finished pencil work, it might be the fact that it's so, it's so fully rendered in pencil, like, you can you can do things with with variations of shading and tones in pencil that you can't really duplicate with just straight up blacking for this kind of reproduction process. So it could actually make it harder for the inker because he's got to essentially do a finished product 
of an already finished product. So maybe like that's what's kind of throwing a hiccup into the mix, you know? Yeah, I could see that. So props to whoever the hell you are that pointed that out on our forum. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure it's very very, but I don't I don't know. <laughs> well, you can actually find a uh, Philip. He's going to be doing Batman and Robin for a story arc, I think, after uh, quietly. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> Something I hope happens in Blackest Night or wherever, just as an afterthought or just part of the background. <laughs> we have the potential now to see. Like Orange Lantern Greddy versus Black Lantern Greddy, and that would just be fun. I don't know Good if call. that. Yeah, I don't know if that'll actually happen though. Oh, uh, it should. Because I think. Uh, well, didn't they get him released? Let's see. Well, no, they said um, the Guardian said that his body would be transported back to Oa and you know put in their tomb, but still, he's he's a dead body on Oa. Yeah, but like he was consumed. His body was consumed. <laughs> So for them to get the body back, well, I don't think Larfleeze needs the actual physical remains or anything. To he, I, I mean, he can just have this construct. I think it's just a copy, right, or something like that. They said. Yeah, because the way I understand it is like, he kills you, and he makes a construct in your likeness. But the entire reason he kills you is because he doesn't want there to be anyone else running around with that likeness, that identity. Yeah, we'll see. And speaking of Black Lanterns, this this uh, epilogue right here, yeah, chills. Like that first page of it, when I see them flying to the horizon, I'm like, oh my god, they're gonna be there. They're it's they're gonna be there, aren't they? They're gonna be there. And I turn the page, they're there. Like I I agree with you, Corwin. Like I really like Ash. Like I love the Green Lantern Corps quarterly series in general, and I always loved his story in it. And just the like the feeling of like. Like, like you can't read this... Like, this thing's only, like, five pages or something. And you can't read this without getting the feeling of... It doesn't matter that there's two Green Lanterns there. Here, they are in as much danger as a Green Lantern can be in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's so weird, but, like, I think if uh, Sarek could hear... I think this scene wouldn't have, be, wouldn't have been as powerful as it is. You know, does that make sense? Because, like, he's... He can just kind of talk out loud without... He can't hear Ash at all. He can just hear the dead and he can speak his thoughts out loud. And it's it's just adds to that hopelessness and that, that kind of sense of foreboding. like Yeah, loss, yes. And it makes Ash seem like all the more, you know, helpless. Because, like, there's only so much he can do. He can't even talk to the guy to help, to get him to move. He has to, like, physically make him move. I thought it was interesting that the location of the Black Lantern is classified. Do you think that's something Scar did? Well, I doubt it because she doesn't even know. Well, we assume that she doesn't know where where it is because she sent them there. But maybe she sent them there as a trap. Yeah. She, well, it says that like you know they they woke it up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so maybe she knew where it was, but she was sending them to wake it up. Now the hands coming up. Yes. Are these... I guess, first of all, should we be taking this as normal size hands in the extreme foreground or gigantic hands? <laughs> uh, it looks gigantic to me. It's a weird perspective shot, because like, we know how big they're supposed to... Like, the lanterns are supposed to be, and we know how big the central battery is supposed to be. 
but it's like I'm not sure how close to us those hands are supposed to be. I'm going to say that they're super huge hands because, like, look at the speed at which they're, like, you know, grabbing at the air. Mm. Now, they're trying to grab the flesh. Now, if they're just tiny little hands, like, they'd have to move the hands, like, super fast to get, like, a speed line kind of thing coming off of it, you know? Mm. And even then, I mean, Ash is actually trying to really haul butt and get out of there because they seem to be in a lot of trouble. So I would assume that they're big hands, you know, they're they're very threatening. If it was just regular hands, I don't think... I don't think they would seem like they're in as much danger. That's true. Plus, if they were regular-sized hands, I guess they would only have to get, like, a foot or two off the ground to be out of reach, so... Or just move over. Yeah, it's like, hey, One... stop and just kick it. <laughs> <laughs> One thing to nitpick out a little bit is Ash actually has two of his fingers cut off. He's supposed to have two fake fingers, and in a few issues of, I think, Core, you actually see him with the little metal fingers, and now all his fingers are normal. Oh, that's right. In that in that quarterly, he uh he had to take his ring and put it on a different his other hand, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot all about that. Good catch. Yeah, they touched on it in the core. You'll see him with little metal fingers, and now here he's just normal. Well, I'm sure that'll be the the least of his problems very soon. Yeah. <laughs> Although his 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 severed fingers could come back as one black lantern <laughs> each. What? <laughs> <laughs> speculation on whose hands they are here's here's a real question so well it's not a real question sorry i don't mean to make it sound like that but here's a bigger, <laughs> a, a, a bigger a bigger question to say the anti-monitor unwilling participant i would say so based on green lantern 25 i think so so would you say that he wants to be freed Probably. And now that you say it, he kind of looked like the the way the skin on these hands looks kind of reminds me of the way his body was like the state he was in when he got taken into the black battery. I definitely absolutely do not think that it's the black that it's the anti-monitor's hands. He's being used. Yeah. Maybe the whole planet is going to, like, unfold, and it's going to be a big dead body with a big Black Lantern battery head. And it's going to go <laughs> around and just, like, kick planets. That would be amazing. <laughs> You're hoping for a bit much. Yeah. They, they did name the planet in the Blackest Night Zero. Have we heard of the planet before? You know, I forgot to check that. Hold on, let me break it out. It's like Crypt or... Something like that. Okay, I got the issue. Dead yeah. World of Riot, R-Y-U-T. Oh, yeah. Riot? Riot, Riot. Oh, Riot. It's probably Riot. Doesn't ring any bells to me. Oh, wait a second. The Dead World of Riot. In Sector 666, which is where the uh, the anti-monitor was being... Um, you know, where they were following it into. They tracked it so that they figured that the anti-monitor was going to land on Sector 666. Well, Sector 666 is also where Ysmalt is, where, you know, like, the whole planet was wiped out. The whole sector was basically wiped clean. Yeah, the whole sector was killed by the (laughs) Manhunters. So, I mean, like, having a planet named Riot 
Well, apparently there was a riot, and that's when the Manhunters went and killed everybody. So, basically you're saying there's plenty of dead bodies around. There's a whole sector of, of dead, dead bodies. bodies. Yes. Yeah. So this could just be like a random planet in that sector. As opposed to like a specific one that we should know. Well, yeah, we probably have never heard of it before, but it's probably like the centerpiece <laughs> of this whole, you know, mass killing. Cool. I'll well, take that, that. Yeah, that makes sense that, well, first off, it would make sense that, you know, the planet of the Black Lantern would take, it would, you know, be built in an entire sector that was basically, you know, wiped out. But backing up my theory, you smalled, yeah, you smalled the home base for the Red Lanterns is also in that sector. Oh, yeah. So... Because yeah. that's, that's the planet Avin Sir went to when he first heard the prophecy. It was in Sector 666, and it was that planet. Right. But, like, you know, like, if... Because uh, originally Atrocitus was obsessed with going after the black. For some reason, he's going after the red. And my theory that red is right next to black... Well, I think he just kind of fell into the red because he was just that pissed off. <laughs> I don't think he was actually looking for it. We'll see. We shall see. I mean, the guy, he, like, kills people and reads their blood for prophecies. I hey, think he probably could... has an idea of what's going on. Hey, admit it. You wish you could read entrails, too. <laughs> like Brian Hibbs? Yes. <laughs> Ever since that episode of CGS, I have wanted to try it. <laughs> but there's not enough stray cats in my neighborhood. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, boy. Uh, speaking of reading the entrails of dead cats, let's talk about Muppets. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, boy. Or, or are we doing that after the break, actually? We'll, we'll, we'll handle that after the break. I think we need okay. a break now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, we'll be back in a minute, everybody.
And we're back, everybody. Hey, speaking of Muppets... <laughs> what? <laughs> sh- shut up, that's my transition. <laughs> um, so, in, in 41, you had Hal talking about Larflees comparing him to basically Gonzo. He's saying, like, he looks like... What's he say? My host looks like a boar crossed with one of the Muppets, that furry one who hangs out with chickens. And he, he can't remember them. Then you get to the beginning of 42, when he has his little little uh, construct army explosion. He's thinking to himself, Gonzo. His name was Gonzo. That was driving me crazy. We actually got mail on this. <laughs> um, it's from... What's his name? Gordon? Yes. He's he well he he remarks about a number of different things, but the the relevant portion is uh, maybe Hal is getting Gonzo confused with this guy, and he provides a link. He provides a link to a Muppet website, like nobly a uh, profile for a character named Uncle Deadly, yes. who I I don't know if I've ever even seen this character before, but you know there's pictures, and we'll put the link in our show notes. the The pictures of this guy. If you colored him orange instead of blue, and you gave him some, like, tusks instead of facial hair, it's Larflees. It is so, like, uncanny. Yeah. It, like, th- there's no way Philip Tan couldn't have known about this Muppet when he was helping, like... Like, like Tan Tan designed Larflees, right? Uh, I think so. Actually, no. No? No, because... Haven't we seen pictures of Larflees, like, uh, you know, prior to the Orange Lantern story? Yeah, DC Universe Zero, I think. They just show him, like, sitting on a stool. I think that was Skyver again. And I know the the first cover of this arc with uh, Larflees on it was an Ivan Reese cover, but... And actually, you know, that just... well, if you go back <clears throat> further, in uh, Green Lantern 25, Larflees is there. Isn't he? Is, I don't think he is, because I was actually... Oh, yeah. I was, I was just looking at that spread yeah, he's earlier not, today. He, yeah, he's not there, but one of his uh, <laughs> one of his associates was. He's not there? I thought it was... Yeah, <laughs> no, he's not. Like, if you look on 25, it Dan's right. The uh, the facial claws, the the tusks coming out are slightly different than Larfley's. Yeah, it's like if you look at the end... Like that uh, last last pre-epilogue page of uh, 42. You've got the one front and center there that I think is you know the last one of his guild that he killed. Yeah, either Blooch or Turpa. Yeah, because I know some people looked at that and they were interpreting it as, oh, Larflees went to Odom himself. But, like, that's not him. But, you know, going back to the letter, you know, <laughs> I, th- I think, and I'm not... You know, I'm laughing just because, like, it's it's such an insane catch that it, it's so... And it's so funny because, like, it's so accurate and it's so just out of left field. Like, like Gordon, you did awesome with that. And I'm just... I just can't believe that it, that was out there to find, let alone that you found it. So, very good. Very good. I'm going to post the link to this in in the, the show notes and the thread for the episode. And you got you, you guys know how uh, John's came up with the name, right? Was this uh no? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no. I think he was saying he it was like lard and I forgot how the second I don't know if it was it wasn't fleas it was 
All right, I forgot, but the first half of it was from Lard. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. <laughs> that that's that's awesome. <laughs> Maybe it's another case of Shane Davis's cat inspiring Jeff Johns to create. <laughs> now, uh, yes. Corwin, why don't you uh, tell everybody where they can find you on the internet? Okay, I am part of the Comic Addiction Network of podcasts. Uh, you can find the website at thecomicaddiction.com. Um, the regular Comic Addiction podcast is just a general podcast talking about comics. We also have two other spinoffs. You have the Image Addiction, which they run through all the Image books. They started at the beginning, and they're going through the Image universe title by title. Then there's the X Addiction, which is all X-Men titles, and that's a once-a-month once podcast. Um, with the webpage, we have all kind of cool things going on. We have weekly reviews of issues, so you know if you guys are interested in something and you don't really – know what it's about or you you want to find out what people think about it you can go to a website check out a review about it um there's also different editorials and event coverage so you'll see my countdown to blackest night um under the events where i'm actually reviewing every single issue from the sinestro core through blackest night so if you you know if you missed an issue or you've never read green lantern everything you need is right there to get into it i have a what you need to know page with which I had a little help from from Dan. Yay. <laughs> so, you know, if you don't know anything about Green Lantern, probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast right now, but <laughs> uh, they you know. they know less after listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so even for the newbies there's a little something there to get you into it. You know, you find out why it's green, why where the lantern comes from. So I just have everything there. I have notes pointing out important things that happen in certain issues so everything's mm -hmm. there on the site and we also accept reviews from anybody so if well of course you have to be able to write but um <laughs> damn it you know if you That's guys have you. a book if if you guys have a book that you want people to know about just write a review you can send it in to reviews at the comic addiction.com and we'll get it put up for you um editorials anything like that it's it's a fan site for fans by fans. Now, Corwin, if I come up with a book that I write and then I do a review, will you post that? Possibly, but then we probably have to get an interview with you. <laughs> Nuts to that, I say. Nuts to that. <laughs> yeah, Jim hates hearing himself talk. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> if you plug in your own book, you got to come on the show. Oh, okay. Cowman, do it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we had Ron Mars on not too long ago, but we were talking about War of Rich Blades. Yeah, nice. we'd like we'll we'll have we'll try and have Ron Mars on here at some point. Are you going to actually ask him, or are you going to start a contest? <laughs> <laughs> I'll actually ask him. <laughs> I'll do it myself. Thank you. <laughs> Don't hurt yourself. You know. Uh, yeah, but we we have to uh, we'll have to do a lot of preparation for that episode. Because I'm sure that there is a lot that me and Dan are going to want to talk to him about. I might even read something for it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and what's, just one more time, because we drone on, what's the website? Thecomicaddiction.com There you go. It's not a hobby, it's an addiction. Very you much. You know it's official because it starts with the... <laughs> Notice we're not the Lantern Cast, or are we? I don't even, I don't even remember. What's our show called? 
<laughs> well, our show is called The Lantern Cast, but you can find our website at lanterncast.com. Oh, look at that segue right there. That is beautiful. <laughs> you can you can also email us at lanterncast at gmail.com. What if somebody wants to call in? Good Jim's, luck. <laughs> Jim, Jim's cell phone number. Let me get this out here. Yeah, no. <laughs> six three one six. Why don't you ever try and stop me? What is wrong with you? Because <laughs> I don't even Wait, remember if that's my my phone number. Hold yeah. on. Who, who, who edits the episode? I do. Oh. Yeah, but then he gives it to me to post online. So. <laughs> I don't fully believe you listen to it all the way through. I don't. <laughs> Before you do it. I, I definitely don't. But I do listen to aspects of it. I'm just going to start lying to you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so where can they contact us on, say, some sort of forum, Dan? 631-64-thecomicforums.com. You can scroll on down, all alphabetically-like, to L for LanternCast. Not the LanternCast, that would be under T. We're under L for LanternCast. There is Uh, no the LanternCast. I know. Thank God, I don't think we can compete with those guys. Um, <laughs> you can talk to me and Jim. Jim's Choanada or something, and I'm Gland, and Corwin is Corwin. <laughs> <laughs> and just all, loads of other Green Lantern fans, listeners, and the like. Um, we're also on iTunes, I think. Are we still on iTunes? Yes, yes, we are still on iTunes. Right. The weekly check-in is working out. All right, we're we're on iTunes still. Did you say what our email address is? Yes, I did. I wasn't really paying attention. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Par for the course. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Okay. We we have those. Uh, we have individual emails. I think. Yeah, but we don't really use those. I'm gonna I'm gonna log into it soon. Yeah, someday. Did you get your, did you get your password yet? <laughs> I did. He just sent it to me like yesterday. You are a liar. Oh my liar! You just gave it to me. I well, I sent it to you the first time and you lost it. No, you didn't. Oh, I definitely did. You did not. Well, that is an argument for another time. No, it's not. I just want it. <laughs> <laughs> That is an argument that I will revive at another time when I can win it. Mm. Corwin, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been an honor. Oh, it's <laughs> been a ball. Uh, Alright, let's get done? the hell out of here. Thank God. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Dan Kurtzke. I'm Jim Ford. And I'm Corwin Kroll. So long. Good night. Good night. episodes really usually run this long or am i just dragging things out for you guys Um, no we're long-winded pieces of crap really (laughs) (laughs) yeah we edit out an hour
Oh my god. I'm reading I'm reading the forum right now and Earth G Billy just uh wrote a response like to the post Blackest Night speculation thread. Mm-hmm. Um I had written that Earth will not have its four plus one Green Lanterns anymore. Some will either be decommissioned or switch sides to other cores. Perhaps Kyle and Hal team up as the green and the blue. And Earth G Billy writes back, Ah yes, the final insult to the greatness that was the character of Kyle. <laughs> Under that, he's like, Hey Kyle, you are now Hal's battery. Oh, and when you have some time, he'd like you to go ahead and clean the hair out of the drain of his shower. <laughs> and pick up his dry cleaning. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, That's just wrong. 